Welcome to Weston's Sermon Podcast of the Week. We're so glad you joined us today. If you've been encouraged by our ministry and would like to support us financially, you can do so at westonroadchurch.com slash give. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. This morning, it is Good Friday, and I'm, I'm excited to preach the word today, and I hope that you are ready. And, and I know that for some of us, death, or speaking about death, kind of is, a, is an eerie topic. Uh, some of us don't feel comfortable necessarily, but in order to celebrate the resurrection, we have to understand that Jesus had to die. And for us to, to fully appreciate Resurrection Sunday, we have to also learn to appreciate the price that Jesus paid for you and for me. And just before we get into our text, uh, I just want to submit this thought to you that it's interesting. We're going to look at the story of Jesus on the cross, and, and the scripture speaks to us about that there was there were criminals on either side of Jesus. And what's interesting about that is that, well, they're all about to die. They're all about to taste death. And what happens is that death has a way of softening, sometimes, the hardened heart. And there is grief associated with death. There is pain. There is anguish. There's mourning that follows death. But in this case, we're going to look at Jesus and the thieves or the criminals that were on the cross. And we're going to just take a look at what happens in this uh, encounter on the cross. And we've been through a series most of the month leading up to uh, this weekend called The Crossroad. And we looked at different encounters that people met Jesus in certain places, seemingly random for them, but intentional for Jesus, who we defined as the main road, right? And so now, the cross, there's, there's a journey that leads to the cross, and we're not going to read through all of it, we're just going to jump straight to that scene, but you have to understand that Jesus was already suffering because he was flogged, he was whipped, he was given a crown of thorns on his head. So he was already physically in pain and suffering. And in the chapter where we pick up in Luke 23, in the beginning of it, uh, it even says that they grabbed a man named Simon of Cyrene to help him because he was already suffering physically that even the weight of the cross was, was a lot for him. So they said, hey, you help him. And they just picked a guy out of a crowd who was showing up to Jerusalem during Passover time. And this is where we're going to pick up. So now they are making their way to the cross. So if you have your Bible, would you stand with me and turn to Luke chapter 23 as we get into God's word this morning. Luke chapter 23, we'll begin reading at verse 32. And here's what it says. Luke 23 verse 32. I'll be reading from the... New Living Translation, it says, Two others, both criminals, were led out to be executed with him, him being Jesus. When they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. Your Bible translation might say Calvary. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. The crowd watched and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself 
if he really if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine, and they called out to him, "If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself." And a sign was fastened above him with these words, "This is the king of the Jews." Verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, "So you're the Messiah, are you?" Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. And here's verse 40. But the other criminal protested, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And verse 43, Jesus replied, I assure you today you will be with me in paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, who paid ultimately the price that we should have paid. And Father, I thank you today that we have your word to read and to recount and to help us remember everything that Jesus did for us today. We give you honor and glory in this place. I speak that every heart be open today to hear about your love for us, for your people. Who, who Jesus chose to willingly lay down his life for. Now I ask for your anointing upon my, my mind, my lips, and my heart, that I might speak your word only in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Crucifixion. The crucifixion speaks of a death that was a Roman practice reserved for the guiltiest of criminals. It's reserved for the guiltiest of criminals. By the way, uh, parents, if you do have children that get a bit restless, we do have a parenting room that you could make use of, and it's a great resource, and there's a live stream there as well in case um, you're new visiting. There's that available as well. But death by crucifixion was a Roman practice. It was what they did to the guiltiest of criminals. And this is how they killed them. They hung them on the pole or on a cross or on a tree as it's described in Scripture. All four Gospels tell that Jesus was crucified between two sinners, giving evidence to the fact that he was indeed and in fact executed as a criminal. So he wasn't just killed because, but they basically equated his death to the other two. They said he's just as guilty. He's one of the most guilty, just like these criminals. And they, they did it and they put him right in between them. And in verse 33, it tells us about those criminals that they were placed on his right and on his left. Matthew, so in our text in Luke, it identifies them as criminals. But in the other gospels of Matthew and Mark, they're both identified as thieves. And so this is just maybe a bit of history if you don't want to read between all of the Gospels. And in verse 34, we understand that it says that they took his, his robe and they were casting lots or they were gambling for it. This wasn't unusual. It was an accepted thing to do. Uh, and those who were doing the execution or carrying it out, they were the ones who usually had the perks of, of getting this. Now, something interesting about Jesus's uh, sash or his garment is it was seamless. That was very rare, and it was actually costly. It was a custom-made piece, if you want to say. If you like fashion, he had a custom-outfitted robe. 
and, and so they, they wouldn't tear it, they would actually gamble for it. And that was a, a perk of if you were a part of this process, doing the execution. Verse 35 um, lets us know that executions were a popular event. And in fact, many people, especially because it was Jesus, would have gathered around to watch the event. Now, you might say that's gross, but hold on. Have you ever watched a horror movie? Before you are quick to judge, have you ever watched TV with gory violence? It's the same thing that probably interests some of us in those things. Is probably the same thing that would interest people in watching others die. I can't tell you that it's enjoyable or pleasurable for me. I don't understand it. But there's something in human nature that pulls us to that. So there would have been people gathered around to watch. And what happens is it's not the people that begin to mock Jesus and gather around. Scripture is clear that it's the leaders who begin to mock. And they're not mocking at Jesus directly, saying, well, look at you. If, if you are the king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? It's more of a conversation that they're having aloud as leaders in front of all the people and obviously the criminals on the cross and they're saying, hey, if he really is Jesus, king of the Jews, why doesn't he save himself? And they're just rubbing it in and they're just mocking him. And though his body was physical, physically abused, well, if that wasn't enough, now the emotional and mental abuse is, is there just as much. The ridicule and the shame of being in front of all these people and yet, Jesus paid the price for you and for me. Yet, he stayed on the cross. And we know, because we read the whole of Scripture, that Jesus could have just simply been away and done away with all of that. But he knew, and in John it talks, Jesus speaks this way. And he says, for this cause I was born. For this purpose I am here. And so Jesus knew that he had to go the distance. Jesus knew that he had to pay the price. And this was a crossroad for him as well, where it would forever change the course of human history. But he knew that it was on his shoulders that he had to do this. And so the leaders were mocking him, and they were addressing one another. And in verses 36 and 37, now we see that the soldiers join in as well, the Roman soldiers. They mock him too, but now they call out to him, hey, King of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? Why don't you save yourself? And it's important for us to understand there was a sign above him. And you see, Pilate was the one who would have had to give the order to be executed or crucified. And you see, Pilate found nothing wrong with him and Herod also. But the people kept shouting, crucify him, crucify, release Barabbas, but crucify Jesus. And he said, basically, I wash my hands of this. The, his blood is on your hands now. And he released him. He said, do, do with him whatever you want. But it, was, it would have been Pilate who would have said, inscribe this. And the sign that was placed on the cross was telling of the crime that they were guilty of. And so for Jesus, it said, King of the Jews. King of the Jews. Now you have to understand People were coming up to Pilate 
saying, crucify him. We want him dead. But Pilate could not find anything wrong. So there's almost like a, a, a double entendre about the sign because it was actually telling the truth. So one thing, it was, it was serving as telling, no, Jesus is royalty. He is the king of the Jews, though they would not see it and accept him as that. They were looking for a political ruler. And then secondly, he could have put king of the Jews to spite all of those people that were, were pestering him. And so it, it really had a double meaning for Pilate to have that inscribed. But we know that others were using that same, that same phrase, even though it was so true. They were using that to mock him. So if you really are what that says, then save yourself. Save yourself. And so it started with the leaders. It moves on to the Roman soldiers. And now we get to our scene on the cross where Jesus has one on his left and one on his right. But you have to understand one thing. You see, they were saying, save yourself. Save yourself. If you really are the king of the Jews, save yourself. But this king, Jesus, didn't come to save himself from death. This king came to die to save the world from death. And that's the difference, my friend. Jesus knew he had to pay the price for you and for me, and he was willing. And so we get to the two criminals in verses 39 to 42. In verse 39, we're introduced to the first. We're not told if it was the one on his left or if it was the one on his right, it's of no importance. It just says that one of the criminals, remember, it started with the leaders. Then it went down to the soldiers. Now it's going to the one who's being executed himself. And this first criminal calls on Jesus to save them, but without actually believing that he can do it. And yes, there was some sarcasm in his tone. But let's look at that in verse 40. Uh, in verse 39, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So they're still mocking in his tone probably. So you're the Messiah, are you? So it almost is saying, if you really are, right, you, you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. And that would have been just like what everyone else was saying. But he adds something which tells maybe this is the guy. But he says, if so, save us. Save yourself and us too. But he didn't believe that Jesus could actually do it. So that's the one guy. And when you read the other Gospels, it tells you that both criminals were sort of speaking this way. But Luke tells us something different now in verse 40. And it seems that the second criminal had a change of heart. So scholars believe that he may have been, just like the other guy, kind of mocking, but something, there was a different understanding that he now speaks with. And then let's look at that together in verse 40. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. And here's the truth that he confesses. He said, we deserve to die for our crimes. That's true. And also, this man hasn't done anything wrong. So something changed. It's quite possible that they would have seen Jesus around or heard about what happened and who this man was. And it's quite possible now that he finally understood in this scene 
There was a change of heart. I can't tell you why. I can just tell you that he turns to Jesus. And he then says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Again, it tells of something that was unlocked in his understanding. And back to verse 40, we find the other criminal has a change of heart. William Barclay says this, conversion seldom takes place on a soft and easy couch. And this man was not sitting comfortably on a couch. He was strapped and nailed to an exceedingly hard cross. And there was nothing comfortable about their position and their posture on the cross. Every breath would have taken a lot of pain to lift up the chest and breathe in the oxygen. And they would die actually by suffocation because the weight, they could not lift up their chest anymore to take in air. The weight would have just caused them eventually to stop. You see, but Jesus bore much more pain. He was already beaten. His, he was already in a worse condition. He was already physically damaged. And he even asks his friend, don't you fear God? And, and being so close to death, being so close to eternity, he's looking at the other criminals saying, but, but don't you even know? Don't you sense what's waiting on the other side? Don't you even care? And the answer for the one guy was no, but there was something different here. And then he confesses, we said it. He says, we deserve to die. And he knew that that was the just penalty that he should, that we, he goes, we, we deserve to die on the cross. We're thieves, we're criminals. We did bad stuff. We're dirty and we're no good. And that would have been justice, but not Jesus. He says, he's done nothing wrong. And I want to spend a few moments with you now talking about Jesus, talking about how his love was poured out for you and for me. And did you know in Deuteronomy 21 verse 23, it actually says anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. So this was something that God communicated to, to his people early on. Anyone who's hung on a pole is cursed. And here we find Jesus hanging on a pole. Call it a cross, it doesn't matter. It means the same thing. And in Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, here is the quote referring to what we just read in Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Do you understand Jesus was pure, he was spotless, he was without sin, and yet he chose to become a curse so that we might be free and without curse, that we might be made righteous. I don't know if you understand the fullness of that trade-off, because it's not fair. It's not fair, but he paid the price for you and for me. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He who knew no sin. Think of a child. This is the only way I can, I can make it so tangible to people today in this room. Think of a child and their innocence. They haven't seen or heard or been where adults go or seen and, and, and heard. 
the innocence of a child is to be protected. I don't think anyone would argue that. And we would do our best to protect our children for as long as we can, as well as teach them the way that they should go and, and obviously about how, how the world is wired up. So Jesus knew no sin. He was innocent. Yet for you and for me, he became sin. So think of everything dirty and sinful you've ever done. You feel maybe guilt and shame even now. It might be fresh in your life. Think about it. Think about how it makes you feel. Think about the repercussions of sin. The damage it does or has done even in your own life. Think about all of that. And then think about Jesus in his innocence saying, come on, give it all to me. Come on, come on, give it all to You'd be like, but, but it. And he's saying, no, give it all to me. Give it all to me. I'm going to take all of your sin, all of it, all of it. He's like, no, 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 don't keep that dirtier one. Don't hold it back from me. Give it all to me. And Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for you and for me. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I want to tell you this morning that when God looks at you because of the finished work of the cross, He looks at you as being righteous through Jesus Christ. And this is why I choose, and I say this a few times a year, I'm going to say it again today, my perspective is I'm not a, a sinner saved by grace, although that is true. My perspective in light of the cross, in light of understanding that God views me as made righteous through Christ, is that I am a saint who sins sometimes. I fall, I stumble, but I thank God for His grace, which produces in me the strength I need to not sin again. And it, it leads me from grace to grace, from strength to strength. See, God's grace is not a license for me to keep sinning so that God could keep showing me more grace. Oh, God, I need more grace today. Thank you that the more I sin, I receive more grace. That's not the way God designed it to be. His grace in us allows us the ability to not sin any longer. And He gives us good desires instead of evil ones. So we want to please the Spirit and not feed the flesh and serve the flesh because I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a child of God and I'm set free. So I want you to understand 2 Corinthians 5.21. And as we take communion in a few moments this morning, we are going to remember what Jesus did. Again, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin, his, his innocence, the pure and spotless lamb, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, again, in Him. That's the key. It's through Christ. You see, the cross of Jesus Christ is the intersection between God and people. It's heaven coming down and extending mercy and grace. And you see, there were two people on either side of Jesus. One scoffed, didn't believe. But the other turned to who? Turned to Jesus. 
he turned to Jesus, even on his deathbed. And you see, Jesus' arms spread out is a reminder that his mercy extends to both. It doesn't matter how grave the sin or how, how icky or how bad, how dirty, how, how stained with sin you are. Because his arms are extended to both of them. But it takes you to, you have to make the decision to turn to him. And so in verse 42, I'm so glad for this verse. Because it says that the second one turned to him. And he said this, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He must have had a revelation that death is not the end of life. He must have had a revelation right there as he was facing death that th this is not the end. And this guy next to me is the answer. And he refers to uh, when you come into your kingdom. So he, he must have had seen something or been God revealed something to him in that moment. But the remember me phrase, it's both a plea and a confession of faith. It was his act of repentance right there on the cross saying, remember me. Don't forget me. Don't forget me. And the thief somehow had that understanding that death wasn't the end. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Jesus himself did not try to convert the two thieves. Right? You would have th thought, well, it's a great opportunity. Jesus could, they're about to die. Like this is, you know, like when, when the pastor goes to do a hospital visit, if you want to say, on some, and someone's on their deathbed. But Jesus himself did not try to convert the two thieves on the cross. He waited until one of them turned to him. And he responds to him. Romans 10, 9 and 10 simply says this. How, how, you might say, how, well, how am I saved? How do I get saved? How do I spend eternity with Jesus? Listen, verse 9 of Romans 10. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not hard. Let us not complicate salvation or the gospel of Jesus Christ. It talks about his death, burial, and resurrection. By the way, Sunday, 10.30 a.m., we start our celebration service. We, we have water baptisms happening. Uh, so don't be late for church. Baptisms are a part of our worship experience on Sunday morning. If you come later after worship, you would have missed that part of the service. So I encourage you, be a part of that. But it, but it tells of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So I confess it with my mouth, and I believe in my heart, and it's done. You will be saved. Verse 10, for with the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So it's very simple. And at the end, in a few moments, before we get to communion, I will give whoever wills, whoever wants to turn to Jesus, an opportunity to confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you believe it in your heart, we're going to confess it, and you will be saved. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to say, did that really happen? Was that the right prayer? Was it effective? Was it heard? No, it says, you will be saved. And so when he turns, when this second criminal turns to Jesus, in verse 43, Jesus finally responds. 
And he says this in the New Living. It says, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Another translation says, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. That word truly, I looked it up. And in the Greek, it is transliterated to amen. Our word amen that we say, uh, I hope you know what it means. If you ever amen what I'm preaching, you're basically saying, so be it. I agree. And it's a firm uh, decision and response. And so it has that, it bears that. When Jesus says, truly, you will be with me in paradise, he is not only assuring him, but he's amening his request. He's saying, so be it. It's a firm answer from Jesus' part. And you will be with me today in paradise. You know, you could debate what today meant. How immediate was it? And this morning, I simply want to say, I don't know. I've never experienced the afterlife to, to be able to tell you. But I do know that the Bible says that to be absent with the body is to be present with the Lord. And I can't speculate, you know, what's the time frame? Are they asleep in Christ? Uh, we can get into end time stuff. But you know what? We're all going to find out one day how that really plays out. All I know is that Jesus said, you're going to be with me. And as a son, as a believer, that's all I really care about is I want to be with him forever in eternity. And I, and I know how to do that now because Romans 10 says all I have to do is confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. It's very simple. And paradise. Paradise, we find it a few times in Scripture, uh, but it's another name for heaven, simply put. The dwelling place of God and the eternal home of the righteous. This is what is mean, meant by the word paradise. And Romans 6.23, as we get ready soon in a few moments to pray and give our hearts to Christ, maybe some of us for the first time, and then to move to communion. But Romans 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ. It's a free gift, church, friend. It's a free gift that he's given already. You don't have to wait. It's been given. The cross is a finished work. It was done once and for all. You see, the shedding of blood is important. Maybe for us, we don't understand why. But in the Old Testament, if you, if you read the first section, if you will, of the Bible, it talks about God, how he had a plan for the atonement or the forgiveness of their sin that the law was good for one thing it showed that you messed up but the law could not fix the problem of sin in your life this is the old testament and so what they would have to do is they would kill animals so there would be the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of their sins the atonement it's a fancy word but it's just simply saying the, 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 the animal took your place in the sacrifice and there was the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of your sins. You see, Jesus, when he came for once and for all, that's why he was the pure spotless lamb. That's why blood had to flow out of him because there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. 
and it fulfilled all the requirements of the law once and for all. So in effect, Jesus was the enactment of the new covenant. So God was saying the law is done, it's accomplished through Christ Jesus. It's fulfilled through Christ once and for all. You no longer have to do this annually. You no longer have to struggle with sin. He died to set you free. He paid the price for you and for me. And this is the free gift of God. Though it's free and it's freely given, it cost him everything. And that's why it's not a cheap gift. It's freely given to you and to me, but it cost him everything he had. And today we have this wonderful opportunity to just simply receive one of the greatest gifts. In fact, it is the greatest gift that you can ever receive. It's better than an engagement ring. It's better than a shiny new car. What happens? Well, the car rusts, it breaks down, you have problems, even a new house. You know, you start to see cracks in the drywall and you go, oh, what looked so good five years ago is no longer the same. It doesn't look as good. I want you to know the gift of God never rusts, never wears out, and it never expires until Jesus Christ comes again for his church. This is the gift that he is giving you today. Will you receive it with open arms because he came for you with open arms? It's the picture of the cross. And I just leave you with this picture from Philip Yancey. And he put it like this. Jesus forgave a thief dangling on a cross, knowing full well the thief had converted out of plain fear. This was the last straw for him. That thief would never study the Bible, would never attend synagogue or church, never make amends to those he had wronged. He simply said, Jesus remember me and Jesus promised him today you will be with me in paradise it was another shocking reminder catch this that grace does not depend on what we have done for God but rather what God has done for us I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet this morning before we move to communion I want to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, number one. Or possibly you're here, you've attended church, maybe you haven't been attending church. Only you know the condition of your heart today. In Isaiah chapter one, the invitation from God is this, come, let, let, let's figure this out. I think one translation even says, let's argue this out. You say your, your sins are so bad, you're stained with crimson. He said, come and see if I will not make you as white as snow. And this is our God. And this is the gift that he has given and is giving to whosoever will today, whoever wants to receive it today. And here's what I'm going to I'm going to do, you might have been to church your whole life and you see people invite you to close your eyes, bow your head, lift your hand, then they still ask you to come forward. We do it sometimes differently at, at Weston. But today, I'm thinking about the thief on the cross. He was desperate enough that he didn't care about all the mockers. He didn't care 
about all the people, the leaders, the soldiers, even the other guy on the other side of the cross. But he just turned to Jesus and he confessed with his mouth and he said, Jesus, would you just remember me? And this morning, I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes, but I'm just here to say, if you are desperate enough for this gift that God has freely given you today and you want to receive it and you've never given your life to Christ, but today you're going to do that and you want to make that decision, would you just slip your hand up real high with, with no shame in this place? I did it once in a service and I'm a recipient of that love. And there are many people here today, but if you're here, would you slip? I see that hand at the back. Thank you, sir. Anyone else today, you're here and you want to give him your life. You want to give him every part of you, no matter how dirty it is, no matter how problematic your past might be, or no matter how pleasant it might have been. You need Jesus today. You need Jesus. You stretch your hand out. And we're going to pray. You might be here today. And there was a time where you gave your heart to the Lord, but you haven't been living for Him today. And I don't know where you're at, but you know. When we pray, I want you to pray and join in as a church. And you pray with all of your heart. And, and I want you to know that if you're making this decision today, you need to let us know. Maybe it's not me. Maybe you want to let the person who brought you to church, you let them know about this decision. But one of the ways you can let us know is you're going to just fill out one of those connection cards and say, I've decided to follow Jesus today. I've made a first-time commitment or decision to Christ and hand it in. Why? Because we want to follow up with you. We want to make sure that you have a Bible. We want to make sure that you have the tools you need to start this journey now with Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray in this place with one voice united. And here's the formula. We found it in Romans as we read it in chapter, chapter 10 in verse 9 that we're going to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Are we ready, church? Are we ready, friend? Amen. So let's pray with our voices united. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this wonderful gift that you freely give today that I am ready to receive right now. I confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and I believe in my heart that God you've raised him from the dead and your word says I will be saved so thank you that in Jesus name and through the confession of my mouth I am a new creation right now the old is dead and gone. And I behold that everything is new in my life from this moment forward. I give you everything. My past, my present, and my future. I surrender it all to you now. Take it and do what you want in my life. 
In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, church, let's give God praise today. Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Sermon of the Week. God wants to work in your life, and we want to hear about it. Please take a moment to share your story by emailing amen at westonroadchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us. We hope listening to this week's message has equipped you to be the light wherever you go.